Welcome to From Embers to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. It isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how do we respond? Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. And now, here is your host, Dave Hollenbach. Today, I'm speaking with Navy SEAL Master Chief Ross Monroe, retired. He was in the Navy for 31 years, 27 of those as a Navy SEAL. He is currently and correct me if I'm wrong, but you're currently serving as a county commissioner uh, in North Carolina? Correct. And uh, Camden. Camden County, North Carolina. Um, serving my second term, just reelected. I uh, had the distinct honor of running unopposed this time, which uh, makes your campaign very easy. <laughs> Since I'm going to vote for myself, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> you also hold a position... Uh, with the Cherokee Nation Strategic Programs, um, I guess, working with unmanned aerial systems. I also read that you're a permaculture farmer. Um, Well, a hobby farmer. I I like to, uh, you know, dabble in permaculture and uh, and read up on it. And, And right now I'm just a dabbling hobby farmer at the moment. And your focus is on... Hope to do that someday uh, at a little more uh, uh, in depth. So, is it mainly cattle? Oh no! Uh, right now, it's chickens, turkeys, guinea fowl, and geese. So, oh, nice! But someday, um, I'm I'm in the process of putting fence up. But at my age, with my back, um, digging fence post holes and stringing wire is uh, time consuming and hard. Uh, but one fence post, uh, you know, at a time, I'm getting there. I have half my property fenced now, uh, and we'll work on the, and I just keep working on it. We'll get there. I also read that you did leadership training at the Citadel. I didn't do leadership training at the Citadel. I, I help a group put on leadership training for the Citadel. So if you want to talk about that right now, we can. Yeah, I was um, I was curious about that. What I read, it it seemed like you were a professor or a, a no. instructor. No, you just you were you were probably one of the instructors though, helping these cadets uh, develop as leaders. I'm guessing. We're, we we are a contract company that does it. Um, the owner of the the company is a, uh, a alumni of the Citadel, and then the um, cadet. The uh, Commandant of Cadets is an acquaintance of mine, a friend, acquaintance, co-worker. He's a retired 06 captain who also is an alumni of the Citadel. And um, they wanted some authentic leadership, uh, guys that have done that, been there, have the T-shirt, to come down and speak to the kids, put them through a tough day without yelling, screaming, you know, with an, kind of inspire and motivate uh, them to get through a tough, long day. And then at the end of it, say, look, guys, we took you through this long, hard day of silliness. 
and um, we never had to yell at you. So you don't have to yell at the at the incoming freshmen, the knobs, to get them to do things and perform instead of hazing them and yelling and screaming. We, you can you can teach them without those faults of leadership, of thinking that yelling like a drill instructor is going to make it happen any faster. And we have a good time doing it. We started doing it with one class a year, uh, one event, I should say, a year, not so much a class because our our event only lasts a full day. So we go down, we travel down on one day, we conduct a day-long event with the cadets, and then we travel home the next day. Uh, but we're now we're up, we were up before COVID, we were up to three times a day or three times a year, I'm sorry. Um, we were doing the, the seniors, the upperclassmen that train the incoming cadets as freshmen. We were doing the, uh, the freshmen right after they finished their first, what is it, six months of, of indoc to the university. We were letting them know that if they saw anything that they didn't really like or they didn't think was you know, authentic leadership or instruction to uh, not carry it along with them, not put it in their toolbox and emulate more of what we just took them through. So we take them through a day and we say, this is when you go further and you are the instructors, maybe this is how you should conduct yourselves. And then we get the, let's see, the sophomore class, because it's kind of their forgotten year. Um, they've made it through their freshman knob year. And it's kind of a, what they say, um, yeah, yeah, forgotten year, your dark years, because you're just going to class. You're not a leader there. You're not an upperclassman. You're not training. You're not doing this. So they kind of said, hey, we want to bring them in and so they're not forgotten. So we were doing it three times a year. Uh, we do things like uh, evolutions in the pool, the O course, uh, log PT, and mixed in with why is, how can you count this as leadership? How do I get leadership training out of a log PT? Well, you get teamwork and trust and helping each other out and not, out, not yelling at the weaker guy. Or if you can't even reach the log when it's over your head, how can you still be part of the team and help them? You can encourage them. And that's what we do. It's a great time. And I've really enjoyed doing it. I think, I think I've been doing it like for six years now. So I think it's about time to hang it up and let somebody else take it over the reins. But um, when I first started, it was called SEAL leadership training. When I started working for the boss and taking it over, I, I said, I asked him, I wanted to make a couple changes. And I said, he's, what's that? So I want to get rid of the name SEAL because we don't have ownership on leadership. I mean, SF, Marines, law enforcement. I mean, we all have leader, leadership skills. So I wanted to get rid of the SEAL name. And then uh, what was the other thing I wanted to do? I wanted to bring in more diverse instructors. And so now I have former SF former Marines, some law enforcement, some intel guys, real cross-section. And then I brought in some ladies also that have strong leadership skills because the, uh, the Citadel has females. So what are we doing with a whole you know, leadership crew of men? And that's, and that's where it stands today. So I'm probably uh, ready to hand off the reins to the next person and see where they can take it. Uh, one thing that I, I find pretty interesting about the Citadel, you know, with the different military academies. You've got the, the Naval Academy that graduates Navy and Marine Corps officers. You've got West Point that graduates 
Army officers, and then the Air Force Academy graduates Air Force officers, and then the Citadel, you can essentially go into any branch. And I, I'm not really sure how that works. Um, well, here's something you probably didn't know. One of, uh, one of my favorite admirals, Admiral uh, retired, Brian Losey, he's an Air Force uh, Academy graduate. Oh, no kidding. So even though you graduate from the Air Force, you can choose to go into the Navy as an officer. Oh. Uh, and that's what he did. A great man, great leader, tough as nails, SEAL. And he came from the Air Force. So you can cross deck, so to speak. So uh, not unheard of. And the Citadel is not all the cadets there go into the military. I'm not exactly sure what the percent is, but I've heard it's you know less than 30% of the kids that are going to school at the Citadel go into the military. And it always depends too on how many how many there how many the military needs is how many they can accept interesting you know? now you always thought citadel private private or state run military school you think that most of them would all go into the military that's not yeah. true they don't they're there for leadership training discipline some i mean people talk about the um the kids nowadays ah you know that gener this generation we're a lot we're our nation's doomed. We're lost, you know. You know, our nation's lost because of the the generation that's coming up. But I tell you, you would be really support. You would be very pleased to be knowing the kids, the young kids going to the Citadel. They're fantastic. They're motivated. They're smart. It, it, it's really a breath of fresh air to uh, to go down there and do this because it really reinvigorates you and gives you hope for the future. Because they're what a bunch of great students. What a bunch of great young men and women. And is the curriculum there much like the other military academies, like a, an engineering focus? I'm, you know what? I'm not exactly sure what their uh, degrees are, what they focus on. I know they have a business school at the Citadel is big, but uh, I'm not sure on where they focus their, their curriculum. I'm curious about your, your role in the Cherokee Nation. I kind of came up with a theory since it's the unmanned aerial systems. I'm guessing you probably worked with, uh, with UAS uh, in your time with the teams. A little bit, man. Yep, you're correct. Actually, I have a buddy, uh, a good friend of mine. Uh, we've known each other since 2009, 2010 time frame. Uh, maybe nine. Um, we met over in Afghanistan. He is a uh, former uh, Special Forces Green Beret, uh, retired warrant officer. And we met there in Kandahar. He was on the contract doing some work and I was there as active duty. We met, we became friends. Every couple of years, I'll get a call from him and he's kind of fishing and, hey, you want to come to work? And he happens to be working at Cherokee Nation and he gave me a call and things were probably in the right place in my life. And I asked him, hey, Randy, you fishing again? And he's like, yes, I am. And I said, well, let's, let's talk seriously. And we, we started talking and yeah, I had enough knowledge of the counter UAS and, and small UAS systems uh, to come on and, and take over some programs. And, and I work a couple other programs for Cherokee Nation and I really enjoy it. I get to work from home. And which is a bit challenging at first, if you've never done it before, because um, you can always get pulled away 
at, at, you know, the doorbell, UPS, the mail, the trash, the dogs, you, you know, <laughs> you get pulled uh, in different ways than you would at a normal job. And sometimes it's hard to say, hey, close the door, I got to work, but I do enjoy it. And now my employee of the month, though, um, I should put his picture up. It's my German Shepherd dog. He comes in here and lays on the floor all the time. So he he's my employee of the month. <laughs> awesome. I'd like to get into a little bit of your background, kind of what led you into the Navy, uh, the SEALs specifically, and then just your your growth, your tra- your trajectory through the teams. But how about a little bit about your life growing up? Uh, I was born in Washington State. And grew up on the Straits of Juan de Fuca in a little teeny fishing town called CQ uh, until about uh, the fifth grade. Moved to Forks, Washington. And we just can't make it kind of simple. I grew up in Washington State, out in the country, logging country, timber, uh, fishing, hunting, uh, great outdoors, hiking in the summertime, ocean beaches. Just loved it. Really wasn't sure what I was going to do after high school. Matter of fact, I, re- I remember a funny time, a little story driving down the road in my hometown and my buddy asked me, what are you going to do? What are you going to do after graduate? What are you going to do with your life? And I can remember saying, well, I can tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to be one of those losers who joins the military. You know, (laughs) 31 years later, I'm retired from the military. And I loved, you know, mostly all of it. You know, great time, great, great group of guys, great camaraderie fantastic uh, it was time of a lifetime you know it was it was great really enjoyable but uh you know i really didn't know what i was going to do i tried community college it really didn't work out for me and then i um and then i started looking maybe i need to get out of town maybe i need to get away from home travel and uh went down and talked to recruiters. uh air force really didn't interest me army didn't interest me uh but the navy and marine corps so I was leaning into those two directions and an AKI came up with the best schooling. I, uh, I joined for advanced electronics. I became a data systems technician repairing mainframe computers on board ships for targeting and navigation. I did that for a couple of years, then decided, well, I want to do something different. What else has maybe got ran into a couple of seals at the gym on base. And, um, and there you have it put in my package to go to buds and, and, uh, and went out to training. What was your, your family like growing up? Older mom and dad and three older brothers. Let's see, 12 years difference between my youngest brother and myself. He, so, yeah, I, I came a little bit later in life. I was a whoops baby. <laughs> and I, I, I joke with my family all the time. My grandfather's name was uh, Grant. My dad's name was George. My oldest brother's name is Grant. My next brother's name is Glenn. My next brother's name is Gregory. You see the pattern here, all these G's? <laughs> and then all of a sudden, way down 12 years later, they get an R. And, and I've, I've often you know, referred to this as what, you couldn't think of another G name, like Garrett or Gordon, or Graham, you know, come on, you know? You couldn't stick with it. And um, one of my brothers came out finally and said, yeah, but without you, we're not Gur." I was like, <laughs> okay, I'll take it. You know? <laughs> uh, I'm guessing your, your family time, being the youngest, probably had- I got away uh, with everything. 
I got away with everything. I'm, I'm guessing that you got some mentoring from your older brothers. Being able to get away with everything probably allowed you to learn a lot of valuable lessons on your own. Let's see, mentoring by my older brothers. You mean beatdowns? Because I was so much younger that uh, tickling and beating me and, and just harassing me probably prepared me for BUDS training. Because, uh, you know, 12 years older, I, I got a lot of that from them when I was a kid. No, I don't really remember any really good mentoring. Other, well, I, sh I should say that they were hard workers. They, they worked at a, uh, they all worked at a uh, little fishing resort in CQ. So that was probably the best bit of mentoring. Hunting, fishing, working, life skills, things like that. But, but I, I really, the mentoring part, I, I have to laugh. It was more of a, a beat down uh, than it was mentoring from older brothers. <laughs> Toughening you up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hell week was nothing compared to growing up with those three. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of your fondest memories growing up? Fondest memories growing up. Wow. You know, I grew up with good parents loving parents. I always joke that we kind of had the, the happy days parents. Of course, every, every family has their, their problem childs or black sheep at this time or that time. No, I had a good childhood growing up. Life was good. Uh, best memories, though? I don't know about best memories. There's just a lot of good memories. A lot of good memories. You know, some of the best is being an old, kind of an only child, having th three older brothers, but they were so much older that when I was able to do things, I was kind of an only child and my parents were older, but I got to go on vacation with them to great places when, you know, I wasn't old enough to leave at home, but they had to take me with them. But I got to travel with them and, and go to Canada and, and stuff, go to Arizona. So I, I traveled a good deal when I was a little kid with my mom and dad. It was great. Good memories. Who or what had the biggest influence on your, your life's trajectory? Being 31 years in the Navy, making your way to Master Chief, doing 27 years in the teams, that's amazing to me. And, and to sustain that path for so long is an accomplishment all in itself. And I'm just wondering what maybe your biggest influence was. My, probably my dad, you know, hard worker, never complaining, always providing for the family. Um, yeah, probably my dad. Now, when you, you, you did three years in the fleet, ended up going to Bud's. Well, we got to use the word, we got to use the word fleet kind of sparingly because I was on shore duty. Uh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, boot, boot camp, BWE, basic electronics, electricity training, A school and C school was about two years of training. And then I got two years of shore duty at Damneck, Virginia, uh, in their training facility there the gun, on the gun line. Then I went to Bud's. Uh, my detailer said, you know, the drop rate's 80%. So, yep, I got it. And he goes, well, I'm going to pencil your name in for the USS Midway out of Akuska, Japan. And I said, thanks for the motivation. Because <laughs> I still owed two years on a four, uh, you know, I was four years in on a contract, six-year contract, still owed him two years. And he said, yeah, you go out to Bud's, I'm penciling you in for the USS Midway. And I said, okay, thanks for the motivation. And when I looked out, I'm doing the beach runs, 
and you could see the big you know aircraft carriers or ships out there just doing a box off the coast of san diego just doing a box going yeah i'm going back to the barracks room tonight and yeah i'm not on that ship i can run a little harder i can run a little faster i can put out and uh i ended up graduating with class 148 february 18th 1988. what was the hardest challenge you had to overcome uh to be able to serve in special operations pull-ups was my hardest you know i could run and i could swim i could pt i could do the push-ups dips i'll tell you what pull-ups kicked my ass all the time it's not my strongest suit in the teams how about in the field actually uh, in, the, uh, in the field yes sir I, I love being in the field and my first platoon i was point man and, and rear security loved you know i was at seal team four for my first tour and so we did a lot of jungle warfare training. Um, some of that jungle warfare training, though, was in the uh, pine forest in Virginia. But uh, we would always get down to Panama and be able to do jungle warfare training. And I just, I loved it. Yeah, I really ate it up. It was a lot of fun. Uh, and we did training down in, uh, you know, when I was in, Puerto Rico was still open, uh, the Navy base there. We did a lot of training down in Puerto Rico also, little jungle island off, of, off the coast. And well, I really enjoyed it. So a lot of fun. Can you talk about some of your experience in the teams that helped develop you and your, your leadership philosophy? Probably failures help you de develop more than anything else. Um, failure to make a shot, failure uh, to get your compass pace right, failure in mentoring another young seal or mistakes. Mistakes are your biggest learning, you know, go, hey, I screwed that up. Uh, uh, I'll do it better next time. Not wanting to fail, but you're, you know, everybody has failures. Um, failure to advance. It took me forever to advance from E5 to E6. That was, that was my sticking point. One, I was probably, my head wasn't in the right place. I wasn't studying the test. I was having a good time being in E5 in, this, in the SEAL teams. Man, that was a great place to be uh, back in the day. But I got married had kids hey i gotta make a little bit more money so i gotta study for this test i gotta make it you know and then you know i got i was seeing all my buddies make first class and chief and and you know getting ahead of me and 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 i was kind of left behind and I, I caught up to them you know i was i was an e5 for a long time and me and another buddy of mine we we sometimes had an argument over, over who was e5 the longest in the navy <laughs> i i think he uh, is the winner but uh so his name will remain nameless uh, he, he will remain nameless yeah uh, that was a, a bit of a failure but um you know what it, if you're a sled dog for a long time it's a little easier to be a leader when you get to the top you know, some of the guys that advance quicker have some other struggles sometimes and it's not too hard to lead SEALs, I have to admit. Come on, SEAL leadership, it should be slowing. How do I, how do I slow them down? You know, because it's not a horse. Leading SEALs isn't a horse you got to kick. It's a horse you need a, a, a good bit. And sometimes you got to rein them back because they are, they're thoroughbreds and they're built to run, swim, skydive, do great things and they want to go and they want to do it. Leading SEALs is not hard. Sometimes holding them back 
is the hardest thing. Your role as a, a chief or senior chief, master chief, your role in the teams on deployments, what is your role like in this? Uh, okay, in well, uh, yeah, chief of a platoon, or yeah, we'll just go with that, chief of a platoon. You're the highest ranking enlisted guy in, in the team. You have the most experience, probably, the most deployments. You're guiding your officers. Your OIC is probably on his second or third deployment, and you have probably more than that. You're, you know, you probably have four, five, six deployments by the time you make chief. And you're guiding him and advising him. And he's making the decisions. He's the he's clearly he's the officer and he's in charge and he has the legal authority. But you have the experience and you guide him. And then you're uh, you're bringing up the junior officer also, the AOIC. You're mentoring him and and then you're making sure that the the guys are all doing their jobs and they're doing them correctly. And you can't give them advice on how to stay out of trouble. What would your advice be on how best to lead up? How best to lead up? Right. With because in your position as a chief petty officer, mentoring the the OIC and the AOIC, they outrank you. But well, sometimes, sometimes you have to lead. <laughs> I'll give you an example. Uh, I had a brand new OIC, and he wanted to do a lot in one day. He wanted to do all this training in one day. What we usually do is we take probably we do the training from Tuesday through Thursday. You know, Friday is a cleanup kind of half day. Monday is a prep day. Get all your stuff ready. And then we train Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday in long days into the night, early in the morning, back at it again. Right. And he wanted to do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday training all on Wednesday. No training on Tuesday. He wanted to do it all in one day. He said, we can do it. I said, no, we're not going to do it. That's silly. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. We're not doing it. We got in a heated argument about it. And at the end of the day, he said, look, chief. I'm like, Roger that, sir. As soon as he comes out and says, look, chief, we're doing it. Roger that, sir. We'll make it happen. We went and conducted the training. I think we only got half of it done. And he realized that there's a lot more to it than meets the eye. Sometimes you let them, you let them have what they're asking for. And then they realize, okay, maybe that was a bad decision and I bit off more than I can chew. And then they start to trust you too. You know, okay, the chief had the right call on that. And there's a reason we did that training Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday and not all in one day. Because if you try to pack, you've heard the phrase, don't try and pack too much shit in one sock. <laughs> no, come on. People get sloppy, they get tired, accidents happen, people can get hurt, it's a dangerous job. Let's, let's pace ourselves out and do the training correctly. And there's also the phrase in teams, crawl, walk, run. We're gonna crawl first, then we're gonna walk and then run. And now we apply that to training. You let him have what he wanted. And he learned that wasn't the right way to do things. And we never did it again. We, he never came back and said, hey, we're going to do it all in one day. He's like, okay, I got it. And he turned out to be a great officer too. He went on to, I think he retired as an 06. Great guy. And then he had another chief after me. He wasn't just learning from me. You know, he moves into another position. He has another chief. You know, he moves into a little more, more senior position. Maybe he has a senior chief and a couple chiefs, you know, 
and he learned from all of us, not just one. He did well in his career. What is one of the most uh, memorable moments you, you've had in special operations? Hey, you always remember your first skydive, getting promoted to making chief myself, um, having my wife and my firstborn son pin on my anchors. That was fantastic. Hearing that I made Master Chief over the phone, I was on training somewhere. By the time I got done with training and uh, was able to call back to the command uh, on some travel I was going to be doing, and they answered the phone, yeah, hey, Master Chief, how's it going? I'm like, hold on, what'd you say? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you made it. I was like, great. How long has the list been out? Oh, you know, a week. Great. Does my wife know? (laughs) They're like, yes, she does. Like, does she know I'm not going to get paid for another year? (laughs) No, you have to tell her that. (laughs) I have some great stories from combat, but I I think they're probably not suitable for the podcast. But I will tell you one funny story that happened. uh, We had a combat incident. My swim buddy got shot in the calf. And and so he has a big hole in his calf. And it's it's all healed up. It's fine. He runs a little funny. He's still a, he's still able to be a seal, and he has a big hole in it, a big like trench in his calf. We're out eating at our favorite clam and oyster bar uh, in Virginia Beach. He gets up from the table. There's lots of families around, lots of other tables. He gets up from the table and he takes the guacamole with him and goes to the bathroom. And he puts the guacamole all, all in his wound. Right? It's, it's all closed up. He comes back to the table. He limps. He limps back from the restroom. Oh, it's 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 opened up. It's oozing again. And he throws his leg on the table. And we all take to the chips and dip it in his leg and take the guacamole. That's that's tasty. (laughs) The owner had the owner had to come over and say, "Boys, I loved you guys, but the other the other guests are leaving. (laughs) You got to." We were like, "All right, we'll we'll stop. We'll 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 behave." You know. So (laughs) that's awesome. Uh, Oh, then you know, memory of getting married and going out with the guys and, you know, going out and having a good time and ending up in the back of a pickup truck, handcuffed and naked uh, on my ride home. The driver of the pickup truck was not, was stopping very suddenly at all the stoplights. Um, so I would slide on the bed of his truck and hit my head on, on you know, the back of the, of the bed of the pickup truck. And then he'd take off. So I would reset further down. And then when he came up to the next stoplight, he would stop suddenly, slide forward and hit my head. And, you know, all good, all good fun, all, all in good fun, great times. And putting, you know, when he got me home, he's like, hey, open your mouth. Here's the key to the cuffs. See you later. <laughs> and I'd have to run up to my uh, my house where my fiance was living, knock on the door with my head and my forehead or my knee or something. And you know, hopefully she's going to take pity on me and open the door and not make me stand outside naked waiting, waiting. And, and then also uncuff me. Yeah. So good, good memories. Good times. <laughs>
that's one where we could do those kind of things in the Navy, though. I, yeah. I'm not sure they have as much fun as we had or I had in during my career. What subject outside of your professional career have you studied the most? Permaculture farming. Not that I'm any good at it or uh, really successful at it, but, uh, you know, I bought a piece of property with 10 acres. I'm putting up fence, doing a lot of uh, Jeff Lawton, and he's, he's got a permaculture farm in, in uh, Australia. And then there's another one, Joe Salatin, who has a permaculture farm in Virginia in the Shenandoah Valley. And then I, I listen to other people's YouTube channels on what they're doing. So that, that's probably, you know, I found out a couple of years ago, I'm a boomer, not, not big on technology, even though I was a computer specialist. I found out a couple of years ago, wow, we've got this fancy TV in the living room. And I, it's got a YouTube app on it. <laughs> Check, I can watch YouTube on the TV. Well, my wife would get up early in the morning. Well, I'm already up. And occasionally my wife would get up early and come out and go, what, what are you watching? And I turned to her, I said, farm porn, honey. <laughs> I said, you caught me. I'm watching farm porn. She's just like, I go, you want to sit down and watch it with me? <laughs> and it's, you know, it's how to raise ducks, chickens, pigs, which is more profitable. Should I do my gardening uh, with no-till and do it with wood chips? Or should I use natural manure from the chickens or goats or pigs and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Which tractor is the best tractor and all that kind of stuff. So I always joke her that she's like, what are you doing? Watching farm porn, hon. Well, can you explain to me what permaculture is exactly? Permaculture is using the plants and animals to regenerate the land naturally. So you're not always adding chemicals to it. You're not you having to use uh, all of the pesticides for bugs. So, you know, a good, a, good, a good way to explain it is like, like pigs, right? Pigs are your natural rototiller. You know, you can use a power, a Troy built, you know, great big rototiller or BCS rototiller and till the land. And so you can plant your garden. You know what else you can do? You can farm, you can fence it off, raise your pigs in there, let them root it up, turn the soil over, pee and poop in it to add nitrogen back into the soil. And after you move the pigs out, you put, let the chickens go in there and scratch and eat uh, finding the seeds and bugs and this and that, and then taking them out and then planting your garden and watching the miracle of this garden just come up because of all the nitrogen that's been naturally added by using your animals. That's, that's kind of permaculture right there. Raising your chickens on uh, uh, free ranging them. And instead of having a chicken coop in one location and going out and feeding them every day, you have a chicken tractor that uh, you load up with chickens and you go out and every day or two you move it so they're getting fresh grass every day um they're they're still they're pooping on this ground and you can see where there's a perma there's kind of a guy that does this kind of farming up in virginia that I, i've gone and visited the farm once and he has these huge big hoop houses they're not little chicken tractors they're big chicken barns and they tow it with a tractor or a, a truck every couple of days, they move it and you can see, and they, and they only grow the chickens 
you know, for until they're ready to go to market. And they have, they still have feed and water, but they have access to free free range to grass. And so they get to eat grass, they get to move around, they're not in a cage. And every couple of days they move this big hoop house. It looks like a great big um, greenhouse and they'll move it. And you can see where their chickens just ate all the grass. You can also see all the poop, right? And then you see where they moved it from the day, a couple of days prior or the week prior and a month, you know, go back and you can just see the difference. And then you look on the other side of the, the field where they did it last year and you can just see the bright green grass growing and they haven't thrown out any fertilizer or anything. And they're free range, healthier chickens. They're not kept in cages. They get to run around. That's permaculture for me. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, and I think, you know, we have, we have these great big industrial farms. Like if, if I wanna raise some cattle and I wanna raise five, 10 cattle and I wanna be able to sell them, I can't. I can't sell, I can't butcher them and sell you the meat. Doesn't that sound silly? I can't free range, no organic, you know, no pesticides on the property, you know, free range organic, but I can't butcher them and sell you the meat because I can't take it because you had to go to a USDA butcher. So the government has helped out the big farmers because they're the ones that take 500 cattle to the slaughterhouse and they have the ability to have that USDA butcher there at the slaughterhouse all the time. And you have to have a USDA you know, certified slaughterhouse to be able to package your meat and sell it. I can butcher that cow myself, but I can sell you half of it on the hoof. Cow has to be alive. And I can say, okay, Dave, you wanna buy half this cow? Yeah, sure, give me the money. And we'll butcher it. And then I can wrap the meat or have it butchered you know, at a butcher shop. You know, someplace you would, like you would take your deer to have butchered uh, and processed, and they can they can butcher it and wrap it up, and I can give you half the meat, but I have to sell it to you before. So it's just it's silly. It makes it harder for for small farmers to make it, you know. And and I think we should in America. I think we've got a problem. We haven't really. I think a lot of people have realized it, but uh, not the majority of people. We get our farm, we get our food from all over the world and all over the nation, from great big giant farms. What happens when uh, there's power outages, there's an oil embargo, uh, there's no trucking? Wow, that's gonna, that's, everybody is going to, that's gonna affect your food sources. And I think we should uh, try and support local farmers, support locally. If you can buy your, your sausage locally from a locally grown, you know, hog, I, th I think we should do it. So that way, when disasters do strike and they can't bring, I mean, even when we had COVID, you know, we started running out of food in some of the uh, big, you know, chain, you know, stores. And it was because of trucking, big farms, people not working. Well, gee whiz, I know quite a few people around me that a couple of people raised pigs. They weren't out of sausage. They, hey, I'll butcher a hog and I'll sell you half of it. And I think we need to do that and grow more of our food locally and not be so reliant on the big corporate farmers. And we're growing chickens in America, stick them on a ship and send them over to China to be processed and sent back. Okay, how ridiculous is that? Let me tell me, you know, let's, we can grow chickens just about anywhere. You can grow them in your backyard, but a lot of cities won't even let you have chickens in your backyard. People can get their own eggs. And have you ever eaten fresh eggs? 
farm fresh eggs. Yes, sir. Free range. They're yeah. fantastic, aren't they? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so is the chicken. Free range chicken is so much better. Free range beef, grass fed, it's so much better. Now, and I think we should be doing more of that in the future. So that's what I hope to do when I retire. It'll keep me keep me busy when I turn 62. Right, you know, raising some sheep or some goats. And, and then here's another thing. Goats, what, what an awesome animal to, you want to clear some property? You want to do it without a lot of gas? Throw some goats on the property. You know, take a little bit of gas, clear out an area so you can run the fence, run the electric fence, bring in the goats, whew, couple of, you know, a week, and your property is going to be cleared of all the brush. Goats are getting your you know, and you're growing farm animals, they're peeing and pooping on the property, regenerating it. You know, you want to keep power line, ditches, whatever. You want to keep it clear to brush, hire a guy with a bunch of goats to come in and throw the fence up, throw the goats out there, let them eat it, and then have them come back a month later and do the same thing. And instead of having to run, you know, mowers over it all the time, pay people to mow it, mow it or whatever to keep it clean and neat, you hire somebody with a bunch of goats to come in and do it. Yeah, keep me busy when I'm older. Keep me young. Growing up, my uh, my grandfather raised honeybees. And oh! He had, yeah, he had bought a big piece of land in East Orange County in, in Central Florida. He had a thing for citrus. He would graft all different varieties of citrus onto one tree. And so and he would just plant different trees throughout his property. He would contract with different groves to bring his hives out, bring them back, uh, harvest the honey, process it and sell it. But on his property, he had pigs and chickens and it was awesome. Yeah. Well, um, I had a swarm of honeybees on my property uh, last year in one of my trees, you know, and and I go out and look at it. And first thing I thought was at a distance, it looked like um, like it was a uh, some kind of, you know, spider or making a nest. And I get closer and I'm like, it's honeybees. Freaking awesome. I called up a buddy of mine um, that lives down the street and he has a couple hives and they've got the suit. Him and his wife came down and uh, we captured the, the swarm and set the hive up. So the returning bees would all come into the hive and when they didn't find the swarm, you know, in the tree, they would find it right here because we put uh, the nuke or the, the hive right there and all the bees would come in, be in the hive and we'd close it up at night. And we did that and they have the bees right now, but I'm going to get them from them in the spring. They're just making them, they're just transitioning them through the winter and then I will, they're going to bring them back and uh, put them on my property this next spring, I've always been wondering, okay, there's so many different type of hives to buy. And you kind of do a little research. And I thought I had it down to which hive I wanted. And all of a sudden I find another style hive. I didn't know there were that many beehives out there. Uh, beehive is a beehive, you know, wrong. But as I'm getting older, I find this Slovenia beehive. Well, you know, we in America have all these boxes and, you know, you have your your, your, your breeder box where the queen is, and then you have a queen excluder, and then you have your, you know, your honey flow box and, you know, stuff like that. So, and they go up, right? You usually keep your queen on the bottom with an excluder and she lays all the eggs and, and, and it keeps the hive going and everything. To check that, how the queen's doing and how the hive's doing, you gotta take those two top boxes off 
And when they get full of he- uh, honey, you know, they can weigh 90 pounds and you get older, older, you know, you, as you get older, it might be a little harder to lift that. Your back might be a little sore and you got to lift one. And really you're disturbing the bees also. You're a great disturbance to them. You know, I, I just said, I never really thought that was the best way of doing it. And I found a hive. It's a Slovenia hive from Europe and the hive opens on the side and you put the hive in a building so you can go in you, and you can have like six hives and they're all on, you know, open in this building or a trailer. A lot of them are done on trailers. So you go into the, uh, the, the trailer or the building and you can sit down on a stool. You can have a bench there and you open the back of the hive and you have access to all three levels and you can just pull this one frame out and look at it. Find it. Oh, there's the queen. Okay. Everything looks good put it back, very little disturbance to the hive, and then close it back up. You can check for your Verona mites, if, if there's any beetles uh, in there, and there's less disturbance. You can get more enjoyment out of it, and you can move the trailer. So you could have six hives in this trailer. It could be an old wooden trailer with a door on it and all your tools in there, and you can go in and sit down and open them up and check them out. And So I said, yep, that's the hive for me. So uh, hopefully this year I'll buy my first Slovenian hive and, and, uh, and when I get my bees back in the springtime, that's what I'll put them into. So, yeah, nice. my farm program. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's really interesting to see, to, to hear about you and to read about you and, and to you know, have an understanding of what it means to be a, a Navy SEAL, especially to you know, retire as a, as a Master Chief. From the Navy SEALs, the level of badass that you are. Oh, and please. And then your transition <laughs> to permaculture and, and raising bees and being a county commissioner. And it's, uh, well, it's I, pretty interesting. Well, I, it, well, you know, what's really interesting is when I talk to other buddies and I link up with them and we haven't talked in, I haven't talked to this guy in two years, right? Another retired SEAL. I think he got out as a a chief or a senior chief, right? But he went on to do contract world real bad at. Makes me look like, uh, you know, Charlie Brown. He's bad at, he's way, you know, in case of war, break glass type guy. <laughs> we, hooked back up, we hooked back up last week. Guess what he's doing? He bought property in Western North Carolina and he's gonna start doing some, uh, a certain type of farming, forest farming. And it has a certain name to it. I can't remember what it was right off the top of my head. I can't remember it, but it's forest farming and he's going to be doing it with deer and, and, uh, and animals. And I said, you're kidding. Right. And I said, I'm into this kind of farming. And we started laughing. Who would have thought we'd be having this conversation, you know, 20 years ago when we were in the teams and we were worrying about guns and bullets and, and skydiving and, you know, dot and combat diving and all this kind of stuff that 20 years later, we'd be talking about farming. I would have never pictured it, especially out of him. You know, and, and, and then I've got this other master chief. He's an Intel master chief. Great guy. He's a power lifter for, uh, well, he, he trained, he's a power lifter. And uh, I don't know if he ever competed in, in his time, but if he did it as a hobby, I think. But I know he helps train the Annapolis powerlifting team. And his, especially his Intel work, he bought a, a piece of property up in West Virginia. 
and he has goats and chickens and ducks. And I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? I got chickens, guinea fowl, turkeys, and geese. <laughs> and I'm going to get some goats. And, and we just look at each other going, where does this come from? You know, <laughs> where did this come from? Now, it's funny that we're so many of my friends are gardening or a little bit of farms or goats or whatever. It's kind of funny that all these people are, that I know are kind of doing the same thing. And it's uh, where did we get it from? I don't have a, I don't have any farming in my background. Uh, my dad wasn't a farmer. His dad, my mom and dad, both their parents, they weren't farmers. I just started gardening and, and I just kind of grew from there. Imagine it's uh, some therapeutic aspects of it, you know. It does, you know. I always tell my wife, "I'm working, I'm working my PTS problems out in the garden, honey." <laughs> <laughs> She's like, "Get, get back out there. <laughs> you need some more." <laughs> it's it's funny that we. I, I was not expecting to be having this conversation with you with the farming and stuff, but man, that's really interesting. And then to. Bring it to the the PTS. You know, I I've talked about it on the podcast several times in the past, and you know, being in being a first responder and uh, talking with law enforcement and uh, fire service personnel that you know experience you know a lot of times the worst that uh, humanity has to offer, and and I know that war is a different kind of uh, horror but you I'm sure have seen your share of uh, horrific things you know and your and your time in in the seals or even since you've transitioned to civilian life what has your experience been and and what advice would you give to operators or even first responders that um, go talk to somebody go talk to somebody talk to a buddy don't be afraid to call them up and talk about it is, is the best therapy. Don't think you have to be a tough guy and hold it all in. If there's something bothering you, talk about it. I mean, the, my first bit of combat, my first 15 minutes of combat in my life, I lost four good friends um, and they were platoon mates. And I wear a bracelet, you know, on a daily basis. It has their names on it. And I probably not a day goes by where I don't remember them in some way. Do I stop what I'm doing because I remember them? No, I know one of them would kick me in the butt and say, get out, get it, get out there and get on with it. You know, you know, if something's bothering you, talk, call up one of the other platoon mates and talk about it. If you can deal with it, go have a beer or two and talk, talk about it. And if you need to find professional help, go find professional help. Don't be worried about it because life is too short to be all wrapped up in it and not get help and go on with your life or, or, or just to learn how to manage it, deal with it. Think about it in a different way. I had a buddy that uh, he called me and he talked about suicide. Never, ever expected this guy's phone call to be about suicide. I was, I was shocked, you know, like, shit, where'd this come from? You know, and I said, you we, when we finally, I really didn't know what to say, the truth. But I came up with, uh, he had a plan. He said he had a plan. He said it was a great plan. Well, I said, brief me on it. You're a team guy. Give me the brief. What are you going to do? And, you know, he had thought about everything. It was a great plan. I had to commend him on it. Dude, that's a great plan. Can you put it in the file cabinet though and not action that plan quite yet? Give me a chance. Give me, give me, give me a long weekend. Give me one long weekend. Will you commit to one long weekend? See if we can change things. And he was like, yeah. 
and it was signing up for a, a religious retreat. And the guy would slap my hand right now because of what I said. It wasn't religious. It was Christ-focused. It was all about Jesus Christ and letting Jesus Christ carry your luck, carry your problems, right? And, uh, and I got him. I got him into the program, got him linked up with the program manager, got him in. He, he went out there. He had his escape plan. This guy is a, is a true seal. He had an escape plan of, of, yeah, if I go out there and I find this is all bullshit and this and that, and blah, blah, blah. He had his plan of bugging out, but he stuck, he did the whole program. He's a changed man. He's not thinking about suicide anymore. Here's another, another tidbit. Turn it over to Christ. Let him handle it for you. Let him carry those problems. He's got bigger shoulders than we do. Don't be afraid to admit it. Getting back to that, don't be afraid to admit it. I told him, you didn't ring out of buds, did you? You didn't ring out of Hell Week. Why are you going to ring out of life? Because Hell Week was really, really, that was, it, it's called Hell Week. No sleep for five days, you know? And you're always moving. Um, you didn't ring out of that. You didn't quit there. Why are you gonna Why are you gonna quit now? You know what? What's so bad that you're gonna quit? Finally convinced him to hit the send button on his, uh, you know, application. He did. He went. So far, so good. Thank you. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. No. You know, I went to the program. Um, I searched it out myself. Um, I felt like I needed something after retirement. Yeah. Is it PTSD? Sure, I'll call it PTSD. I got big shoulders. Yeah, I think about my buddies every day. And then there's many more to add on top of the first four. I think about them. Does it ruin my day? No. Do I get hung up on it? No. Did we know what we were signing up for? Yeah, we signed, we signed on the dotted line, you know. But um, so at the end of my career, I was thinking I needed something and I went and it really helped. You know, they, there's people out there that can help. They know what they're doing. They've been through the process themselves. You're not, you know, the old adage of look down at the sand. Hey, Christ, I thought you were with me. And I look down, I turn around and look around and there's only one set of footprints. Where'd you go? You know, and he's like, no, no, those are my footprints. That's when I was carrying you. Don't get all hung up and be afraid to reach out for help. And, you know, whether it's Christ, whether it's just having a beer with your buddy and, and chatting about it and getting it off your chest, you know, getting it out there. It's great. So. I'd like to shift gears a little bit because um, one of the biggest reasons I wanted to talk to you is, is just your experience and leadership and, and really getting your personal philosophy on leadership and, and maybe how that. Two words. Yeah, two words. It took me a long time. I, I wasn't the greatest leader in NSW. I wasn't the best platoon chief. You know, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't be able, don't be afraid to admit your mistakes. Hey, I made the wrong call. I made the call on that. That wasn't the right call. I got it. You know, I made the mistake. You know, servant leadership, know why you're doing it. it, it have a focus in, in people aren't robots. You can't yell at them. Everybody's got a different personality. But if you let people know, I, I love this out of one, of, man, I learned this from one of my probably 
one of my easiest commanders ever to work for. He's no six. And he was a Commodore. And he was at the whiteboard one day and he's talking to the whole command. And he goes, this is where we are right here. And he draws a dot. This is where I want the command to be in a year from now. And he kind of draws, you know, he, he goes, yeah, you know, like a range fam. These are your left and right limits. So you got, you know, your dot down here, dot down here and left and right limits. This is where we want to be. So stay within those left and right limits. And, but he goes, listen, those left and right limits aren't always clear. And so he drove, he drew a wavy line instead of a straight line. It's kind of a wavy line. It, you know, left and right limits move and change and depends on the situation. And he goes, but you know, and this is kind of where I'd like to be, but if it's, if it's over here or down here a little bit or up over on this side, and we're kind of moving forward, we're doing okay. And as long as you stay in those left and right limits and we're moving forward and you're doing your job, he goes, you don't need to ask me. You have authority, go do it. But if you think you're getting close to that left and right limit, you want some guidance, come ask me. You know? And I was like, wow, awesome. You know, give the guys the guidance, give them the authority and tell them to go forth and do good stuff. Yeah, he, 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 he empowered everybody. And when one speech, he said, this is where we're at. This is where we want to go. I understand left and right limits aren't always exact. And I understand that, hey, we might not always make the point, but we're moving the ball forward. And I, I, he goes, you don't need to call me and ask me for everything. You're authorized. You're moving the ball forward. You're doing the right thing. You know, you're not doing anything illegal. You're not go, go produce, go get stuff done. And the, and the command just took off underneath him. It was, it was fantastic. Yeah, it was great. So he empowered and authorized. And, and I think that's what you need to do, you know. You have to remember what what are you there for? You know, you you don't want to be the answer man to everybody. You know, you don't want to be that kind of leader that everybody's got to come in and ask you questions and and they fear you saying no or something. You know, no, hey, this is where we want to go. This is how I want to get there. Let's go forth and do good things. And and like I said earlier, leading team guys, pretty easy. You know, <laughs> most of the time you got to rein them in, pull them back a little bit. They're the thoroughbreds, they want to go and they're, they're competing and they all want to do a good job. And it, it's, it's fantastic to be working with a group of guys like that. You know? In your experience, and we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier um, about learning, learning how to lead through, you know, maybe falling on your face. And I, I was yeah. wondering if you could, uh, I don't know, share some of your experiences with that, maybe give some examples and the, the lessons that you've mm -hmm. learned and can pass on. You know, I can't think of any specific failures I, I think would fit for the podcast audience. And just knowing and understanding that it's okay to fail. It's okay. You don't have to be, nobody's perfect. Um, and it's okay to fail. And it, it's, it's just to, the key to leadership lead with your heart you know be a smart person surround yourself with good employees good partners good you know people and and trust them and lead with your heart and 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 care about them as people also and not just like hey frank the numbers are down you gotta get the numbers up well 
hey, Frank, Frank has a life. Frank has problems. You know, you might want to ask how his life is going, you know, and care about him and not just be, hey, Frank, your, your department's numbers are down. You're not doing this right. You're not doing that right. You know, you, you got to be engaged with people. I think you get more out of people when they know you care as a leader. You know? um, I've got one of my guys calling me now. Um, I haven't talked to in years. He's calling back going, man, I love working for you. You know, you, 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 you trusted me. You empowered me. You know, you, you, and he wasn't even a team guy. But he was a great guy. He was a great guy. You don't have to be a team guy to be a great guy or a hard worker. And he did his job and he freaking was awesome at him. Awesome at it. And I told him the one thing I loved about him is, man, I set you on a task. I never worried about it not getting done. And it always it always got done well. Taking that into account that I probably gave him too much sometimes, you know, because he was a performer. And we were just talking about it last week when he called and it didn't, it's good. Stay in touch with people. Networking is important in leadership because if you don't know the answer, you can, you can always reach out to somebody and say, Hey, I, I got this going on. What do you, what do you think? What, what should I do? Yeah. How should I approach it? Cause you know, I guarantee it might be new to you, but uh, I'm, I'm sure somebody else has had the exact same problem before and they can help you out. Let me make this a little more personal. Okay. So you and I talked a little bit before scheduling uh, scheduling this interview. You know, I gave you a little insight. Um, as, as a chief officer uh, in the fire department, I know that I was pretty well respected. Um, I would say I was a pretty good leader but I made some poor decisions and, you know, in my personal life kind of, kind of made, I, I failed as uh, a self leader. Uh, and I know that I let a lot of people down, you know, people that looked up to me and I, I went around, I, I owned my mistakes. I talked to, talked to the people that I led and uh, told them I'd make it right. The, the thing is, is that that is a tough spot to be in. And I was wondering if you have any advice for me personally in, in overcoming this uh, failure in, in self-leadership. When did that happen? Last year. Well, I'm sorry, 2019. It happened in the past, didn't it? Yes, How big is your rearview mirror? How big is your rearview mirror compared to your windshield? It's pretty small. Compared to your windshield, it's pretty small, isn't it? There's a reason sure. you're supposed to be looking forward because you can't change the past. Can you? Can anybody change the past? They can reshape it. They can tell different stories about it. They can lie to themselves about what happened maybe. But you know what? It's done move on, focus on the future. Try not to make that same mistake again. Be honest with yourself, focus on the front windshield, not so much on the rear view mirror, you know? And, and you've, it sounds like you've made amends with everybody that you hurt and let down and then go on. Don't be afraid to talk about it with others because 
you might be helping somebody out, you know. Um, you know what you were you were asking me uh, one of my biggest failures. Uh, shit, I got I got drunk on an overseas. Uh, it wasn't a deployment really. It was kind of a uh, we went over to train some foreigners for a week, a couple weeks, right? And I got drunk one night and I said some stupid stuff. Really didn't do anything. I just said some stupid stuff, right? I got kicked off the friggin' base and sent home. How humiliating was that? You know, and I had to come home and own up to that. And my wife was like, why are you coming home early? Come here. Mm, well, honey. Uh, yeah, got in trouble. Own up to it, you know. Uh, yeah. Don't do it again. <laughs> and I move on. And, and, and you know what? I didn't even think about it until you started talking about yours. And bam, it reminded me of mine. You know, and uh, I got drunk and um, said and acted in a stupid friggin' way, you know, on a uh, on our U.S. Navy base overseas in Korea, and I uh, got sent home early, and everybody knew about it. You know, I had to depart the base because they wouldn't allow me on the base anymore. They said you have this you have this much time to get off. You know, I had to go get a plane ticket and. Fly home. <laughs> yeah, wasn't the first, wasn't my first time getting in trouble. Wouldn't, wasn't going to be my last, but you know what? Try and learn from it and try and move on. Well, there was one thing that you, you said to me the first time we spoke when, when I started to talk to you about it, you said, uh, what was it? Three things that have led to, uh, good men falling on their face. Oh, uh, booze bucks and broads the bucks being dollar bills so the three b's booze broads bucks the downfall of many good men you know uh yeah i've seen team guys you know be destroyed for you know the wrong women the the you know booze is a destroyer of so many you know good families good careers, you know, getting that DUI that you're not supposed to be getting and having to explain it or hiding it, lying about it, you know, getting overextended in debt, you know, gambling. Yeah, downfall of many good men. Thanks for sharing that. So what advice would you give aspiring soldiers, sailors, Marines, um, you know, current, uh, servicemen and women you know that are that are looking to promote and you know and, and non-commissioned officers that are you know they want to be better leaders find a good leader that fits your style know your why why are you doing it why are you in the job know your why simon Sinek has a great book out know your why uh, i advise them to read it and know their why you know, grab onto a couple leadership books, um, read them, follow somebody on a podcast, uh, listen to them, you know, and emulate them. Look at leaders in the past, Re read about them. You know, Winston Churchill, great leader, you know, he had his failures. Um, Patton had his failures, had his successes, you know, uh, MacArthur, failure, successes, Nimitz. 
ran a ship aground as a young officer. Wow. What would have happened if we would have got rid of him because he ran a ship aground when he was a young officer? Granted, yeah, technology is a lot different today, and, but still, find somebody in history, find somebody right now, you know, and emulate them. I wanted to double back on, on something that you said earlier. Uh, I, I started listening to this, Athena Rising. So Athena Rising was recommended to me yesterday. I just started it. It's a, <clears throat> a female firefighter in Wisconsin. I know she's got quite a few followers in social media. I, I'm going to be interviewing her in the very near future. She made a transition from a Fortune 200 company being a program, uh, a project manager uh, for prototype mm -hmm. engines for Cummins. She made a transition from that to the fire service, becoming a full-time firefighter. And actually her and her husband own a farm. So kind of interesting. <laughs> I like um, her already. <laughs> Let's see, Cummins diesel engines, uh, owns a farm. Yep. She's, she's, She's doing good. So we were we were talking, um, and one of the things that uh, that I found in in my research uh, in in leadership is the importance of emotional intelligence, and I believe you you touched on it earlier. Now your uh, your time teaching training cadets at uh, at the Citadel and bringing women in to to help train the, the men and women. I, I find it pretty interesting that this book that was recommended to me by a female firefighter, it's all about uh, men mentoring women mm -hmm. and the importance of men doing that. And uh, it, it was written by two Navy officers, actually, that um, was pretty interesting. I, I believe they're I haven't gotten into it too deep yet to know their connection to the Naval Academy, but I was wondering if you could maybe give me some, some insight to your, your experiences with women in leadership positions and, and your time working with them as, as uh, trainers of leadership. You know, you know I, I tell you what, this is uh... <laughs> You, you're always going to have fraternization in, in the, with men and women. Now, in the military, it's a little bit easier because you can tell them not to do it, right? You can tell them, it's still going to happen though. But this is the advice I gave. Uh, <clears throat> and I can't, I can't tell you where pe people are going to fall in love or who they're going to fall in love with. People can't even make that own determination for themselves. <clears throat> But when a young sailor was checking in, he always has to check in with the command master chief. And when they checked in with me, I gave him this advice. I said, listen, and it was the same advice for male or female, just worded a little bit differently, but the males would go something like this. You know, the women here, if you can't treat them like your mother, your sister, or your daughter, 
go find someplace else to work. This isn't a hookup joint, right? Virginia Beach is out there with a with what seven hundred thousand people, a lot of people out there. Go find it out there. Here, it's work. Okay, is it gonna is it gonna happen? Yeah, it usually happens. But that kind of advice, you know, if you can't treat the women here like you would treat your mother, your sister, or your daughter. Go find someplace else to work. And the, and the women, I would say the same thing. You know, if you can't treat the men here, it's your father, your brother, or your son, go find someplace else to work. Uh, I, we, don't, we don't need you here. Because this isn't your, you know, Navy hookup zone. You know? uh, and that's, we did, we did okay. I mean, we, every command has their issues and, and people get caught and, Okay, now now we got to handle it and deal with it. But um, you know, treat the women the same way with the guys. They're great leaders. I, I had some fantastic female chiefs and senior chiefs. You know, and I brought one over from followed me from the previous command I was at, and she did a great job. And I called her up and was wondering if she was looking for orders, and she was. And they said, "How would you like coming over here?" and and she, what am I going to be doing? And I go, you're going to be the senior female en enlisted leader here. And I need you because I know your background. I know how strong you are. I've seen you before and I need you here to lead these young female sailors. You know, sometimes they need a little bit different touch than, you know, a guy can give and you gotta, you gotta respect that. And, uh, especially in the military you know, but for the most part, you treat them the same as guys. They'll do a great job. Trust them. Let them go. Let them do their work. I mean, I'm sure you saw that in the in firefighting. Oh, we're going to get women. Oh, there's women out there that can do the job, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not for everybody. Not everybody woman can't. Every woman can do it. But there's women out there that can do it. Oh. So, all right. We have our standards. They make it. Fine. Okay. Just okay. Okay. Yeah. Not every man can do the job either. <laughs> that's that's true. You know, absolutely right. Not every man can do the job. So, and we set our standards and and we go with it with that. You know. So, I, I don't know. How did how did we we when you first joined the firefighting was the first fire station you were at. Was it all male when you first showed up? Or yes. Was it all already integrated? So you, there it was, was all male. It was all male. There was one woman assigned to a different shift at my station. Other than that, everybody else assigned to that station. It was all it was all men. The fire service has increased its its number of women, but it's negligible uh, compared to the military. Yeah. Um, that it. That was actually one of the things that I researched quite a bit on was that there is this, uh, the culture in the fire service that's pretty exclusionary. And one, um, when I first got into the fire service, it was the mentality that, you know, women don't belong. And, right. and there was, Everybody had examples uh, of the different women that are messing it up, you know? Yeah. Um, 
and then but there's a lot of examples of men messing it up too oh well based <laughs> on the numbers there's quite a few more men <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh it it just so happened that i became very good friends with with a female firefighter that um she's probably 10 or 15 years older than me uh i'm i'm six foot tall 200 pounds she's about the same build as me and she's tough um mm -hmm. very very tough and uh i i made a couple of comments that i thought she would agree with and she pulled me to the side and tuned me up and she was the one that made it very clear that it's not gender that determines one's ability to do the job, but really who you are. And, um, and that was a very good lesson for me. Um, good. So I've been trying to help uh, in, in the best way I can. Uh, you know, my focus is on leadership development and, and self-leadership, but I know that there are women that have influenced my my approach to leadership and to not uh, recognize that, I think a failure on my part. So um, no, I was just, uh, I was just curious because teaching leadership at a military academy and, and bringing women in to, to teach it with you, I, I think speaks volumes and, and because it's not, it's not typical in my experience. Yeah. Well, I, you know, people are people. Uh, like you said, you know, um, there's females at the academy. Wow. Uh, do men have a hold on leadership? <laughs> no. It's just like seals don't have a hold on leadership. And I've had many great ladies that I've worked with that are great leaders, you know, and they made failure. They've had their failures and they've tripped up and, but they've, you know, uh, I have a couple of them that are master chiefs. One's a maybe diver, you know, they're, uh, they're great. Why wouldn't I bring them in and have them relate to the women, but not only to the women, but relate to the young men that get to see this, this lady now is telling me what to do. And I've never really had that before. He's a young man, you know. Maybe it's not so much just the women were training, maybe it's the men that the young men there. Hey, here's some great female leaders. They might be your boss someday. You might have somebody like this as your boss. You better get used to it. It's a different world than what you and I grew up in, you know. So yeah. So, so it's not just for the women, it's for the young men too. Absolutely. So they don't grow up with prejudice like we probably did. Because <laughs> you know? I know, uh, I don't know about you, but my mom put me down one time. <laughs> As a, and and um, I would have to say she did a good job of it. You know, it was humbling. I was like, whoa, I didn't see that coming. You know, just did as well as my dad. You know, I was afraid of my dad, but... Until that day, I was like, whoa, I got to be afraid of my mom, too. <laughs> wow, you can't hit mom. You know, you can hold your dad off. You know, but 
come on. You're like, oh, you know, what do I do here? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so she, she, she was, uh, yeah, I had a new, newfound respect for my mother after that day. I was wondering, is there anything that, uh, that I should have asked that I didn't ask? We, we've just met and, uh, I mean, I, I would imagine you're a wealth of knowledge, and I just ah. you know if I've asked all the, the most appropriate questions, but I think this has been a great conversation. Did you have fun? I had fun doing it. Yeah, so. absolutely. And I'm going to look up Athena Rising, too. I wrote it down. Yeah, I'm always interested in something new, so yeah. Uh, I'll give you one, Hurricane Within. Um, it, it's by a young Coast Guard. Lady, she uh, in the Coast Guard. I think it's an in-flight. They're called in-flight mechanics in the Navy. They're called crew chief. You know, on a helicopter. So she would go out with the the rescue. She'd be part of the helicopter crew that was flying a rescue swimmer out to conduct rescues in the Coast Guard. And um, a hurricane within is her is her story through the Coast Guard. Um, and she might be a, a good lady to interview, too, for the future. All right. Awesome. What, what is her name? Uh, Ashley Lepart. Any last words of wisdom to share with the audience? Uh, no, not really uh, last words of wisdom. Uh, <clears throat> but I, I, I do have something else that I, I do. Uh, and I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, but I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an ambassador for 501c3. And it's out in Wyoming called Wyoming West. And uh, the West stands for uh, Warriors Empowered Standing Together. It's done on Labor Day weekend. And what they do is they invite warriors uh, out for the weekend. They'd go fly fishing, horseback riding, skydiving. They got a day at the range where you can skeet shoot, shoot long guns, machine guns, pistols, you know, whatever you want. Um, and it's just a fantastic weekend they cover all your costs they fly you out they put you in a hotel and all your meals are paid for they take care of everything and they're just this little town of Sheraton Wyoming and I say little town it's not that small you know but Sheraton Wyoming is one of the most patriotic places they just love doing this for their their military and law enforcement personnel first responders, firefighters, you know, EMTs. I know some cops from New York that have been out, you know, I know sailors, uh, CBs, SEALs, Vietnam vets, a great mixture. And they bring them out and they have a big get together where gathering where everybody gets to meet, uh, meet and greet, have some drinks, listen to some music, really great time. The next day, I think is the range day and you go out and, you know, breakfast is taken care of of the hotel and then you go out there and they've got a trailer out there and they got, they do this lunch. That's just, it's cooked out there on the trailer and it's all fresh and it's just delicious. And you're out there all day long shooting guns, having a great time, skydiving, you know, jump, they're jumping people in tandem, riding on a helicopter, going up this valley, shooting, shooting out of the helicopter. And the vets just love it. Um, and they cover all the costs and I'm an ambassador for that. So I'm always keeping my eyes open for, you know, um, somebody to take out there.
uh, a vet or something. And I focus mostly, you know, on Navy guys, but uh, I'm an ambassador for them and I do that. And then I'm uh, also going to be the MC for another 501c3 up in South Dakota. And they're going to have a, oh, a big gala dinner. And I'm not sure how many people are going to show up. I think they're going to do between 200 and 500 uh, dinner uh, uh, plates. And they've asked me to be their MC. And I, you know, I was like, wow, never really been an MC before, uh, other than a retirement ceremony. It's really scripted and been to so many of them. I've seen them and know them. Yeah, I got it. But this is something different. This is, you know, we're, hey, we're do doing a MC for a dinner uh, inter, you know, introducing all these people, keeping it going and everything. And then when they asked, I was like, I'm in. I've never done this before, but you got it. I'm in. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. And that's going to take place um, over the uh, February um, uh, Valentine's weekend. So my wife, they're, they're going to fly my wife and I up there, put us up, and uh, and I get to MC this big dinner. So eh, wow. And, and what is that? What is that 501c3? That one's Sacred Mountain Retreat Center. It's in Deadwood, South Dakota. And they what they do is they have a lodge on 80 acres and it backs up to the Black, Black Hills, I think, National Forest. So nobody nobody's gonna be building around it, you know, and you can go out and walk in the woods. There's nature trails, but they really focus on equine therapy, uh, physical fitness. They have some hot works um saunas that you can actually pt in the sauna and it's all done by uh radiated light and, and instead of just temperature you know and you really sweat it out in there you can do yoga calisthenics uh rowing biking you know they're big sauna boxes uh they focus on that and then they have another program they have a, a metal worker that that is up there near deadwood and he just does beautiful artwork with metal and he comes in and he brings a portable forge and he gives everybody a railroad spike and it's really symbolic of you know the transitioning military person you know you're part of a team you held the tracks together you made things go right you did your job um you were strong you know type thing but you're transitioning and they heat the metal up and that uh, you know, the vets just go to work on it, pounding it, turning it into a, something. A lot of vets use, uh, turn it into a knife and they, they spin the handle and, and they're, you know, heating it up, hammering and it's work. So when you get out of the military, it's not always, not always easy to transition and you got to keep working at it. So you're, you're heating it up, you're, you're hammering it, you're heating it up, you're hammering it, tempering it. And at the end of the day, you have, you used to have this, railroad spike and now it's a pretty cool looking knife even if it's you know uh, a knife just to look at the hang on your wall and that symbolism of you know hey don't give up keep heating it banging it heat it bang it you might not get it perfect put it back in heat it bang it again you know i think it just works for the vets and that tied in with the equine therapy uh they're they've got a good program that they're working up there in Deadwood, South Dakota for Sacred Mountain Retreat Center. They're doing a great job. And so, yeah. And so I afford myself, you know, to help them out too. And I love it, you know, being involved. Um, my wife would say I probably have too many fires going, 
too much going on, take a break, you know, but you got to stay busy in life and you got to stay connected and doing things and got to keep moving forward. So people listening that may want to either make a donation to either of those uh, organizations or even uh, reach out to see if it's a good fit. If they can attend. Yeah. Um, you know what? Sacred Mountain Retreat Center, I think they're on Facebook. I think Wyoming West is on Facebook. I think they're both on Facebook. I think Sacred Mountain Retreat Center has a web page. So if you Google Sacred Mountain Retreat Center and it's up near Deadwood, South Dakota, I, I think you're going to find it. And if not, you know what? Have, if they ask you, well, we'll figure out how to get them in touch. If they, if they can't find it, we'll help them out. Well, so, I'll, um, I'll look and see if I can find some links to it and I'll put it in the show notes that way. Uh, if I'm, if I'm able to find it, I'll, I'll make it uh, readily accessible. Thank you for including that. I appreciate yeah, it. Absolutely. No, yeah. that's, uh, that's great. Anytime I can share any type of resources for, for veterans or first responders, um, that's, that's what it's all about. Yep. I agree. To all together, we're a better community than, you know, ones and twos and, you know, Navy guys doing their own thing, Coast Guard doing their own thing, law enforcement guys. No, you know, we come together, especially at, uh, at Wyoming West. It's law enforcement, you know, first responders, Coast Guard, Army, Air Force, Marine Corps, you know, we don't care. And we all got issues and we all talk about it and have a good time and have a great weekend. And, you know, and, and some people come out of their shell a little bit and they realize, you know, I don't have it so bad. These other people are doing it. I can do it too. So fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Master Chief. Uh, well, it's been a pleasure, Dave. Yeah. 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 I, I got a lot out of this and I know whoever is listening is going to get a lot out of it as well. I hope so. Uh, I hope you have a good response. <laughs> yeah, no. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please visit hollenbockleadership.com for additional content. Dave's goal is to add value to as many people as possible. So if he can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with him via email or on one of his social media accounts linked on the homepage of his website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them. And the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.